Shut up and sit down. I'm Dr. Corbin Weaver, an OB-GYN resident. I'm Dr. Katie Wyatt, and I'm one too. And I'm Dave Etler, their podfather. And, and we, we are, are the Vagabonds. Three friends venturing through the world of feminism and healthcare for women, babies, and people of all kinds. We don't give medical advice, and we don't speak for anyone other than ourselves. We're just recording conversations we'd be having in bars anyway. And today, we're going to be talking about breastfeeding. Yay. Ooh. I think we just have to do the yay now. Yeah. Because otherwise, it would sound like we weren't excited about the topic. I love breastfeeding. Yes. <laughs> Dave, what do you know about breastfeeding? What do I know about breastfeeding? Well, I know that um, it's good for babies and mamas yeah, in many is, ways. Yeah. Um, I Absolutely. know that it's difficult sometimes mm, for, for some people. Uh, yep. uh, that's just from watching and hearing stories, watching my wife do it and hearing stories. It's especially difficult for working women mm, yes. um, for uh, many many reasons and um yeah but i also yeah that's a good yeah i mean and it's a tremendously bonding experience Mm -hmm. uh both for women and for babies despite its difficulties or it can be Mm -hmm. yeah so breastfeeding uh the reason why i wanted to talk about it today is well this will be a little bit of a lag for our listeners but today there was like the new york times broke up was the first one to do it but basically there was an article in the new york times and then subsequent news sources after that about um basically the trump administration threatening the government of nicaragua for introducing a pro breastfeeding bill to the um who Oh, floor. Well, it seems or very resolution rather. Seems I like a very reasonable say. thing to threaten another country for introducing right. breastfeeding. Yeah, and the speculation is that uh, it's due to the you know large uh, interest of a U.S. corporate U.S. corporations in the sale of formula, which I mean, good grief. <laughs> fits with this administration's you know trajectory at this point. You know, not surprising. Mm-hmm fairly transparent if you ask me but anyway that's besides the point so anyway i thought i'd just talk a little bit about breastfeeding and i mean i think breastfeeding comes up in the news a lot you know you'll hear stories of women like being asked not to breastfeed in public and then they're being like fuck you i'm gonna do it anyway yeah yeah sort of situations and all that so i thought i'd just talk about it and kind of like and also i've like uh dave was saying i've had some friends who became mothers and talking about like how hard breastfeeding is so i also wanted to talk a little bit about like kind of oftentimes how people feel like shamed if they don't breastfeed mm-hmm. so i thought it, i think that's also important to talk about yeah it's funny I, when i when i read off my list of things that i knew about breastfeeding that wasn't even something i was thinking about in terms of the difficulties of breastfeeding but it's totally true i mean yeah you know i mean part i of feel the like mothers get so, shamed for lots of things yeah. yeah well part of the reason it's so difficult for women to breastfeed is because they can't you know they, they don't feel like they can do it whenever and however they want to because yeah. society doesn't want to see your boobs yeah apparently yeah for sure and um yeah i guess i'll just talk more about that later but so as david uh, dave alluded to there are like um a lot of what the healthcare community considers to be uh positive like uh impacts of breastfeeding so um the benefits are and this is from the american association uh, or american academy of pediatrics um and so 
they also say that it's good for both um, mother and baby. So they say for the baby, um, it can decrease the incidence of bacteremia. So that just means like uh, uh, bacteria in the blood of the baby, diarrhea, respiratory tract infection, something called necrotizing enterocolitis, which is... That doesn't sound it's like good. An inf- yeah, it's an inflammatory process of usually preterm babies' intestines that um, is one of the most common causes of like preterm death, one of the... among a few of the common causes. Um, and it's really not a good thing at all. Like babies who get it will often have to have... If they don't pass away from that, they can have to have like bowel resections and stuff like that uh otitis media so ear infections urinary tract infections um type 1 and type 2 but diabetes they also seems to be some sort of link between like over like obesity in later life um brain development uh lymphoma leukemia things like that um and i say association because it's not like we can really say like causal relationships but so it seems like they're pretty the effects are for babies really pretty um apparent and for and they also mentioned the like bond between mother and baby is important for breastfeeding can help develop that and um uh there are also maternal benefits so there's a decrease in postpartum bleeding um decreased uh bleeding um for like uh also like more like a increased spacing between like ovulatory cycles early also like an early return to pre-pregnancy rate um just because it like takes a lot of calories to breastfeed basically and uh a decrease decreased risk of breast and ovarian cancers and that really has to do with the hormone levels that are kind of maintained in your body when you are breastfeeding and the fact that you might not be ovulating as much So, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the physiology of breastfeeding just because a lot of these benefits come from the physiology of breastfeeding. So, um, so we talked a lot about how a baby is less likely to become ill if they're breastfed. And so you might ask yourself, why is that? Um, does anyone have any idea why? Antibodies. Indeed, antibodies. This is like one of my fa- most favorite things about OB-GYN, by the way. What? Breastfeeding antibodies? Well, the fact, well, because I don't know if we'll get there and or if you're going to go there, but basically like this cell, there's like specialized immune cells that basically wait around the openings to the milk ducts and the areola that like sample the baby's microbiome and like their saliva and things and like so the antibodies that are present in breast milk are like even more attuned to like what the baby i didn't know that yeah it's fucking crazy yeah so antibodies um mainly iga is so when a baby is born it has a like very immature immune system basically just like uh operating off um like passive immunity from its mother um the antibodies that have become that have like cut crossed the placenta from the mom but then when they begin to breastfeed they also gain something called iga through the breast milk and it's another antibody that they can't get through the placenta or through the blood so they're gaining an extra level of immunity and this this um IgA is like kind of referred to as like a secretory immunoglobin so it's uh 
basically protects things like you know like your respiratory system like and your gut and stuff like that so that's why you kind of see the decrease in those like enterocolitis and respiratory infections and all that jazz have i ever told you my theory about about uh breastfeeding and and immunity no let's hear Mm -hmm. it so my theory is that (laughs) babies get sick right because they're because they're new in the world they get they get all these colds and uh they they uh they give their mothers these uh they transmit this the the infectious uh the pathogen to their mother and the mother makes antibodies and gives it back to the babies um and that we fathers are just casualties in this whole thing because i was never more sick <laughs> i was never more sick than when Aze was a baby um and i think it's because you know he was just busy making making those you know putting out those germs giving them to mom so mom could take him and turn him into antibodies and give it back to him and i was just effed yep <laughs> Yep. It's not a very well you thought out theory. But. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. the, so like kind of what Katie was saying about these like cells that kind of are attuned to what the baby needs. And it's actually interesting. You can probably look it up. But I remember a while ago, there's like this these pictures going around facebook of like breast milk of a mother whose baby healthy and then breast the same mother whose baby got sick and the different difference in color between it and it's kind of interesting to just see like you know you can tell that the breast milk is changing Hmm. to uh, accommodate the baby which is kind of really cool to think about So we talked about some of the benefits to the mother um, with the bleeding and the menses and all that jazz. So with the bleeding specifically, we talked about like, you know, less bleeding after birth and less bleeding. Um, yeah, basically less bleeding after birth. So so why is that? And when we talk about breastfeeding, we I mean, there are like other hormones in play, but kind of like the biggest players are prolactin and oxytocin. So prolactin is the hormone that um, basically causes breast milk to be made and um, prolactin increases in a woman's body after she um, becomes pregnant and or it could increase, you know, if there are things called like prolactinomas, women can have tumors that like secrete prolactin but like normal like in a normal kind of physiology um prolactin increases women who are pregnant and so you might wonder ask yourself why are like women all pregnant women just like breastfeeding you know like being able to like express milk and stuff and that's because i mean they might be able to express a little bit of milk but yeah why aren't they like actually like being able to like breastfeed as a pregnant and that's because the progesterone and the estrogen actually um inhibit the prolactin during pregnancy like during pregnancy there are high levels of progesterone and estrone estrogen in a woman's body and so that has a negative feedback on the prolactin and so that kind of is like at risk or at bay so then once a woman gives birth the levels of estrogen and progesterone just like drop dramatically and that's what like basically you know, if the estrogen and progesterone have the stop sign on the prolactin train coming through, then basically this, you know, the stop sign just like blows away in the wind when the baby gets born and then the progesterone can like cause the milk to be made. Uh, in breastfeeding, in order to get the milk from the woman's breast, the you know, the now, the now, you know, created milk, secreted from the cells of the woman to the baby's mouth you have to have what's called like a milk 
letdown, which is um, stimulated by the hormone oxytocin. And oxytocin is actually like, I forgot to mention with prolactin, this is... um, it's like stimulated when the baby with the suckling of the baby which is i know a creepy word but (laughs) it's not my favorite word either but you know yeah but you know there's like not a better word so (laughs) suckling it is um and so it's important to like continue to have that suckling for breast milk to continue to be formed right because you know you've women if they aren't breastfeeding can like eventually stop producing milk so that um breastfeeding is important to maintain you know that breastfeeding function which you know women can have it keep it going for a really long time like you've seen women who are breastfeeding their seven-year-olds you know in the news Mm -hmm. i don't know if you guys remember that like time cover a while ago no the like uh yeah the five-year-old breast i think it was like a five-year-old maybe breast standing up and breastfeeding on the cover of time but um and oxytocin so oxytocin is stimulated by one internally from the mom actually if she like hears her baby cry or like sees her baby it can stimulate it's called milk letdown which is basically when the milk is like ready to leave her nipple and or the also suckling uh produces or causes oxytocin so and it's this oxytocin actually that is what can help a woman with the bleeding after birth so oxytocin also works on a woman's uterus and it causes like the clamping down of her uterus we use it in labor one it could be used to like um stimulate contractions augment contractions that's the word i'm looking for or um also used after in the management of we call it the third stage of labor um where they basically you're helping the uterus clamp down after the placenta is passed after the baby's been born so that she has the woman who's just given birth has less likely of having a hemorrhage after she she has just given birth which is the number one cause of maternal mortality worldwide so all good things for baby and mom but and um it's you know so it's kind of funny like historically you know back in in a long time ago like obviously everyone breastfed because there weren't formulas like you fed a baby with your breasts like that's how you fed babies and then formulas were developed and there was this like big PR campaign about like, oh, you need to give your baby like the, the best science the, can offer. Yeah, the best science can offer. <laughs> and so there was a big like push to um, have women like and women were basically shamed away from breastfeeding. And like even like they kind of like formula companies put like a classes classist twist on it like poor people breastfeed because they can't afford to buy formula Mm -hmm. sort of uh so all this research came out about you know why breastfeeding is good for babies and moms and so now there's been a shift back to uh physicians encouraging uh women to breastfeed their babies if they can but um you know if you've heard like slogans like breast is best and stuff like that it's all kind of aimed at and they're you know whole professionals aimed at helping women breastfeed like um there's there's a position called a lactation consultant who are there to help women breastfeed and um so it's a whole thing and there's actually ACOG has a statement out about how to like best support mothers um who are breastfeed or how to help support them so that they can breastfeed because something I think that um 
if you talk to anyone who's breastfed, but if you if you have never talked to them, but you just hear about it in the news, you often gets like left out as that breastfeeding is really really hard to do. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it's not always like you think it's a very natural thing, which it is, but like some babies don't like catch on to breastfeeding right away. Like technically there's like a response, there's like a response for babies to like, kind of like find the nipple. It's like a rooting response. Yeah. It's called, yeah. A rooting response. But some babies like aren't really able to latch and that could be like due to the anatomy of their mouths or even like the way they're supported, Mm -hmm. like, um, by their moms, they might not be able to latch on and latching is really important for the baby to be able to actually get food. It's almost like my, it's, it's almost like that rooting response is kind of, um, kind of a first step, right? For the baby. Yeah. I mean, it just sort of gets them in the general location and then they, but they still have to learn how to do it right. Assuming that their, Mm -hmm. and that the anatomy of their mouth is capable, supports it. They then have to learn how to do it right. Right. Also, and some babies are hella lazy too, and they just like fall asleep. Like, <laughs> yeah, and that, yeah. I remember that being particularly frustrating for Christine. I think at some point it was. Yeah, and you know, if they're not suckling right, they could you know be getting just a lot of air basically when they're mm-hmm. yeah feeding, and that's like not a good thing. It's very uncomfortable um, for the baby. Yeah. Yeah. So, and usually, lact like lactation consultants are there to help with these kind of things, but like sometimes, like babies can have like tongue ties. They're yeah. called tongue. Ties yeah. where they're like they have a little bit extra skin basically attached to the frenulum of their tongue. Basically limits and the movement of their tongue is what yeah, I remember yeah. hearing and about. So they can't breastfeed and so they have to like clip that piece of skin basically in order for that to happen. Um also I mean some women just like aren't able to produce enough milk um to be able to like support the nutritional needs of their baby and it really doesn't have to do with anything that like the woman is doing wrong, but just the fact that like they just like can't physically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough one because um, that can, I think that could probably lead to a lot of, you know, un, un, I mean, you know, it, it isn't their fault, but it can lead to guilt and sadness and yeah, absolutely. You know, things like that. So, mm-hmm. and so there's that also, you know, if you just physically can't and then you know, the time consuming nature of breastfeeding can also be like a huge barrier. So like, I don't know if you are, have ever worked in medicine, you've encountered like the pumping resident in a workroom because, you know, women in medicine aren't really given like breaks they need or like, especially residents, maybe attendings are, but like residents technically, I think technically are given breaks, you know, to pump or whatever, but like it would, it's a- I think when you're in medicine, you're forced to like make the decision to realize like if I take a break right now, I'm going to be so behind on my work. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to, you know, just skip, even though technically like your workplace is being like, yes, you can take this break. But that like doesn't change the amount, the level of work that you're right. responsible for. Or you just pump in front of everyone. Yeah. So, and then, you know, anyone with a, you know, like for instance, if you work in like a restaurant or if you work in, you know, a grocery store and it's hard to get breaks that often that you need to pump in. We're talking like every few hours here, every couple hours. So, um, and if you don't pump, your breasts become very painful. 
mm-hmm. and you can get things like mastitis or yeah mastitis or like abscesses in your breast I mean, that sounds which fun. is extremely painful and i mean there's also something that people don't talk about as much as like some women just like want to have their own bodies you know mm-hmm. what i mean and like that's a totally valid reason to not like, it's okay feed? for you yeah. yeah like some i think i think for some women probably like if you've had your baby inside of you for nine months and your body in a way probably hasn't always felt like your own across that time like you might just say like hey this is like my body and i just can't do this anymore and that's mm-hmm. also like a good reason not like that's a good enough reason to not breastfeed in my opinion because it's what you know it's like your body still just because your mother doesn't mean like your body isn't your own body i remember christine feeling as though she had been invaded during pregnancy sort of this alien (laughs) inside her Mm -hmm. so (laughs) you know i can see how people would like i've never been pregnant so i don't really know but like just you know, I see, obviously I see pregnant women every day. And so I could see how someone would feel like someone has taken over my body. Right. Like, and it, and it dictates what you can eat and yeah. what you can drink and how you live your life. And it makes you tired. And so it's, it's yeah, not a, absolutely. it's not a small deal, you know, like it's, yeah. Um, and it's, a, it's an, it's, it's also to some extent affects identity being pregnant and breastfeeding, you know, like yeah. it changes, mm-hmm. it changes who you are and you may not you know, that might not be an easy change for some people. Some people yeah. thrive on it, you know, lots of people thrive on it. Lots of people are just yeah. like, oh gosh, I'm, I've turned into a new thing. How am I going to deal with this change? You know, it's a little bit. Some people's identity is, yeah, built around the fact that they breastfeed. That's very true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's pretty much all I really have to say about breastfeeding. I thought it was a short little topic. Pretty interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, the hard okay. thing with doctor, at least for my, me, like I hate to shame people. Like I, I really truly believe, like as as a physician, like I really shame is so prevalent in our society, and it's really hard to like tell people what's like recommended without shaming people, just because people carry internal shame. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah you may not intend to shame them by saying breast is best and all this kind of stuff, but right. But uh, the truth but is, they people might, feel might internalize shame that. if you mention it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that it's, uh, you know, the job of a doctor to figure out a way that you can say, you know, from a medical perspective, our research shows that this is really going to benefit you and your baby. And it does benefit you and your baby more than if you were to give them formula, but also like it's your body and it's your choice. And whatever you do, we as medical professional professionals should figure out a way to support you in that Mm -hmm. decision. I mean, it seems like it would be fine to just say, look, you know, these are the ways it works well for babies and for mothers, but there's a lot of formula babies out there and they are in general, none the worse their experience hey, having i was formula fed so well there you go doctors see and i'm a doctor case so. in point yeah and i was breastfed so you know i sometimes i do like to give my mom a hard time because i'm a little shit by saying <laughs> man i wonder how smart i'd be if i was breastfed <laughs> such a sweet child <laughs> that's what my brother said one time my brother and i got in a fight and he squeezed my head until i started crying and he likes to be like i wonder how smart you'd be if i hadn't have done that to you <laughs> I don't know if I was breastfed or not. I have no idea. I feel like when Court, like now breastfeeding's back, like it's like a thing again. But when Corbin and I were born, like in the 90s, it wasn't really common. Yeah, it wasn't. We were born in the middle of that whole 
Thing. Well, apparently, this is the story. Is the reason why I wasn't breastfed was because when I was a baby, I was in the like um, NICU because I had a really bad case of RSV, and my mom pumped like the whole time, and she gave the breast milk to the nurses. And instead, they just this was back in the nineties where they didn't the hospitals didn't care what you wanted, and then <laughs> so the nurses just got rid of all the breast milk and just gave me formula, oh and so oh god. Yeah. I know now if you're, this is another problem with breastfeeding is that, you know, it's such hard work, right? We've already talked about how Mm -hmm. difficult it is. And then every once in a while, something happens to the milk that you worked so hard. This is true mostly of people who express milk, you know, who who pump. So Christine had a terrible time with, uh, uh, apparently the taste of it wasn't that great and it turned out that you know she, and she could tell the way i think it was aze was eating it was like just you know it was you know it's just not working out for him and what we mm-hmm. what she discovered is that she you know some process was making it i don't know if spoils right where it was affecting the taste of it yeah. and um she ended up learning that she could scald the milk not you know boil it or anything but scald it and that right. would halt whatever chemical process was happening to make it taste bad mm. um mm. i don't remember much about what was going on there but um and then the other thing is you know god forbid you you drop a a bag of freshly expressed milk oh yeah it's liquid gold yeah that that i would guaranteed to ruin your day like i that would i would that is guaranteed to ruin your day um my fun fact about breastfeeding so every feeding that you breastfeed burns 500 calories per ounce oh shit that's so crazy i know it's so crazy, which is why you have to eat a shit ton when you're breastfeeding. Man. Like you have to eat so many calories and high, like you probably in all real, like realistically need to eat more when you're breastfeeding than you do in your third trimester of pregnancy. So, so it's the, it's not the act of breastfeeding itself, but it's the amount of energy that goes into producing milk. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. So you could do the same if you're like pumping and stuff. Yeah. Right. Wow. That should be yeah. like... I mean, you're feeding another human being, yeah. you know? Yeah. That should be like a uh, uh, benefit number one yeah. right there. Well, maybe we, it shouldn't uh, be, but... <laughs> yeah. This is like a thing in centering, because we do centering here, and I mean, I've already talked about it too, but you do like a little thing about breastfeeding, and you're supposed to like talk about all the reasons to do it and all like the benefits and the negatives. And we like have all these like little things that represent the benefits and like the pros and the cons. And like one of them is like money. One of them is like, I don't remember if it's like a scale or something, but it's, you know, it's like a, it makes it easier to lose weight because it burns so many calories. Mm. Um, not that that is like the ultimate measure of health, just that like it's getting back to your pre-pregnancy, right. like physiology right. is like a normal part of the postpartum period. Um, and yeah. And it's, I mean, it's free. The other thing that, is interesting about breastfeeding is that like if your baby is allergic well babies don't really have allergies but if your baby is like intolerant to a type of food if you don't eat that food you can still breastfeed which is so cool so like there's a lot of people whose babies like can't have like cow's milk like lactose but if they just don't have any dairy then they can still breastfeed and it's like I can imagine how like that I like those moms are like the saintest of sainty people because like I can't imagine like first of all the how hard it would be to try to figure out why your baby is sick and crying and colicky and then figuring out that like you can't have something that you normally eat and like not 
just being like, oh, I could just formula feed them and this would be fine. But like still breastfeeding, that takes like a lot of time mm-hmm. and effort. My little brother had the uh, very severe milk and soy protein disorder. Yeah. Intolerance when he was a child. Oh. Um, yeah, he had to eat, have like old people formula. Yeah. I have a left field question for you. Mm-hmm. Love it. Which is better for expressing milk? Big boobs or little boobs? Doesn't matter. I figured that would be your answer, but I was wondering. Because milk, so your milk glands have nothing to do with the amount of adipose tissue that are in your breasts. Mm-hmm. So you don't have more glands. Nope. If you're, if you're big on top. All right. Nope. Fair enough. Yeah, that's a common mistake. I thought you were asking about the mechanics of expressing milk. I thought it said you. Well, uh, yeah, I pretty much know how that how that works. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't assume. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can hand express milk. Yeah, you can. Like uh, some um, people do that, I think. Mm-hmm. It's also a good way to like get your baby to eat if they're not like latching. You can like express them, and then it helps them to like want to latch. Yeah. Yeah. And also, there are this I think is really cool for like people who work who are breastfeeding. They are are like hands-free pumps so you just like put them in a bra they like have like a way that the bra holds them and so like my sister-in-law would like pump on her way like on her commute every day and she's like i was just like driving down the road and it was like (laughs) sounds those machines traffic are incredible i know they're the best (laughs) that's Uh, smart you know what i've never seen though um personally is the um the so uh, Christine said that uh, at least back then the machines that they had in the lactation rooms at the hospital were, were like these sort of big, uh, you know, sort of stainless steel creatures, mm. you know, unlike the ones that you have at home or whatever. They're just these big sort of industrial looking machines. Mm-hmm. I've never seen those ones. I don't know. Maybe this. I've only seen know. the yellow Modelo ones. Mm. Yeah, that's what I've seen too. Um, they're like on wheels, which I think is strange. Though apparently the like um, breast pump technology has advanced significantly in the last few years. Mm-hmm. Well, that'd be good because I know she went through several different machines trying to figure yeah. out. I mean, apparently you used to not really, you know, like your at home pumps like would never be like even near the quality of the hospital yeah. pumps. Right. And then now you pretty much everyone has like a hospital quality pump. Yeah. They're like all the same. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing. If you're pregnant and you want to breastfeed and you want to pump, um, you can ask for a prescription and sometimes your insurance covers part or all of the cost of a pump. That is good. So Mm -hmm. you should ask your doctor for a prescription for one because we can write prescriptions even if your insurance doesn't cover it and you can just take it and see. So if it does cover it, then you're good. But if it doesn't, then you just buy the one you want. So yeah. And I think if you have like Medicaid, it the your insurance has to cover a pump i think isn't that part of the aca uh yeah i think so i thought it was maybe yeah. i might i don't know for now don't take my word for it but you should definitely check well, yeah. all right just one more thing we kind of touched on this but fed is best so if you're breastfeeding yeah. and you can't do it and you're like not your baby's losing weight or you are like emotionally and mentally like not you just like aren't having it like fed is best just feed your baby like that's all that really matters in the long run Mm -hmm. so Do you like 
to hear about some news? Yeah, sure let's hear Dave, what's in Dave's news corner. I uh, learned about crisis pregnancy centers. I think we might have <sighs> spoken a little bit about this before when it came to abstinence yeah. only um, sex education. Um, so as yep. a recap, we did. CPCs. Uh, came into being in the 1960s. Um, they are f- generally faith-based organizations that provide pre- and postnatal services to women. And in their beginning, they operated in states where before Roe v. Wade was the law of the land. So they operated in states where women could obtain abortions. Um, the obvious reason for that is because they wanted to prevent abortions. And uh, they thought that the way to do that was to, count- was to not counsel women to have abortions. Um, but what... We've learned is that these days they're becoming increasingly important players in public school sex education. Piece in the Huffington Post, if you want to read more about that. Um, they tell, basically they kind of lie. They they do lie to young people. They do, straight out lie. Uh, they say that IUDs aren't effective yeah. at pre- pre- preventing pregnancies, that um, masturbation can interfere with marriage because the chemicals in the brain that would in the future otherwise lead to bonding with a partner are instead focused on the self. Um, If a woman is exposed to too much vasopressin uh, contained in male ejaculation, um, i.e. if they're engaging with sex, engaging in sex with more than one partner, its pair bonding influence will become too diluted and thus the woman will be unable to bond with a future partner. What? Yeah. Uh. Um, Sadly, CPCs are enjoying new funding via the Trump administration's grants to teach abstinence-only education. Um, Yep. But... There is good news, in, and that is from people like me, Gen Xers. Uh, one source of opposition to CPC's influence on sex ed is, uh, is, is Gen Xers, who are parents now. And the reason, according to this article, and I think it's seems like sound reasoning, we became sexually active during the AIDS epidemic of the 1980s. It's, mm. it's you know, so... It's a little bit hard to remember now, but a diagnosis of AIDS was a death sentence back then, um, mostly because, I mean, entirely because we didn't know what the hell was causing it. Um, We ended up, you know, after we figured out that AIDS was caused by an infection, um, Mm -hmm. HIV, human immunodeficiency virus, right? Uh, Mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan's Surgeon General C. Everett Koop issued a report that prioritized public school sex education on a national level. Um, And uh, so we ended up learning a lot about sex um, and pregnancy prevention and STI prevention and all that sort of thing. So Gen Xers are beginning to fight back by demanding changes to sex education curricula to include the sorts of public health information and frank explanations of sexual health that we got in the 1980s um, because of that push. So I thought that was really kind of interesting and also um, kind of nice to see that uh, that we Gen Xers who, who, you know, had a had a reputation for being cynical and... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, you know, sort of uh, apathetic. Um, we've actually maybe turned a corner a little bit. <laughs> Way to go, Gen All Xers. Right. Way to yeah. go. We finally did something. I mean, I feel like the cynicalness is still like what makes it good, though. Like it, it's because you're cynical that you like make smarter decisions. You know, that's I feel like that's what. Yeah, I mean, you, could, of. you know, certainly other generations were very optimistic. You know, others were. You, you, and, and we just did not have that innate opti- optimism, I guess. Yeah, that's true. And, um, you know, we, I, I, I suppose it means that in some ways we were, we were just like focused on, we were just not, we were just focused on not believing the hype basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I think some of that bled over into millennials because 
Yeah. I feel like that's where hipsterness comes in, kind of. You know, it's like, don't believe the hype. And then they kind of like went the, completely the opposite direction <laughs> and hyped up all the like old timey stuff. Well, um, millennials, I, I, I suspect that um, millennials will be um, another, I don't know, another source of no bullshit um, uh, feelings as, um, you know, as they tr- struggle to get, you know, the kinds of the kinds of uh, uh, financial. What am I trying to say? You know, it's hard for them to get things like jobs right now. Right. You know, right, as they yeah. fin- as yeah. they graduate, and so you know, and that we had the same exact problem in 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 that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so we may end up being, you know, as 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 much as some of us might complain about, oh, the millennials, oh, they're so lazy, blah blah blah. You know, we had the same exact problems. Yeah. In many ways. Yeah. I feel like it's not Gen Xers as much that complain about millennials. I mean, it is. I don't but know. It's mostly baby boomers and it drives me yeah, crazy. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, We've, baby, I, baby boomers. I, I, interview, I interviewed um, someone for a job. They were seeking a job. And the first one among the first things that popped out of, popped out of her mouth was, um, you know, how, you know, millennials, blah, 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 blah. She didn't get the job. Um, yeah. Well. Considering the population I worked with, it seemed like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's a little uh, not great. Oops. <laughs> we, uh, so, well, actually, speaking of millennials, so millennial, everyone, you know, says like millennials can't like socialize because we're like stuck in our phones and like all that bullshit. But actually studies have just like been coming out that say that millennials actually are more socially connected and we can like do it in any manner of um Ways so like we can do it with technology or face to face or like however you know yeah. it's uh, every time I read about how you know uh, kids are being destroyed by technology blah 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 yeah. I you know I'm not I'm I'm not prepared to buy it um, I know but yeah, I'm just, always like I'm not you, trying to be ageist or anything but just think whenever a phone goes off in a room where it's supposed to be silent or someone's loudly talking oh. on the phone in public who is it it's always an old person it's always an old, oh. old person. <laughs> Seriously, they don't have the. the I mean, it's they don't know how to I silence mean, their phones. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, like we were raised with technology, so we know how to do the etiquette, you know. Well, and like, I'm sorry that I don't want to talk to you, Carol, but that doesn't mean that I don't want to talk to Corbin, you know. <laughs> yeah, like just because we don't want to talk to <laughs> baby boomers doesn't our, mean we don't want to yeah. talk to each other. <laughs> Oh, uh, anyway. Oh man. My parents, my parents I mean, have 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 uh, embraced technology to some extent. You know, they're they're good. Yeah, mine have they're been. good at the FaceTime. They don't text, but yeah, you know. yeah. My parents. Have, well, my mom has, not my dad. We, the, the 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 truth is that you know every time technology has changed, every time we've introduced a new communications technology, we have sort of offered it up as the death knell of blah 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 blah. This is going to be the death mm-hmm. of you know this that or the other it's never been true it's never been true yeah. it's um, all that moral panic yeah, you yeah. know we, we fear change hey maybe it'll be the death of capitalism though so i'm down yeah, for that we'll see <laughs> like how we're destroying the napkin industry <laughs> what yes because paper towels are the same goddamn thing <laughs> they are i didn't realize millennials were destroying the napkin industry oh yeah we were destroying or like every reusable industry. napkin one thing we're destroying yeah. one thing you guys are destroying i think i started it personally based on the number of Amazon packages that arrive at my doorstep is the, wow. is the, you know, re, the, the retail apocalypse. Oh yeah. In person. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't need a mall to, uh, to make yeah. my life complete. What about independent sellers though? I understand. 
I understand, but um, you know, here's the problem. So if you go to if you go to to downtown Iowa City, mm-hmm. what do you see there? What do, what are the shops that are in downtown Iowa City? Um, Ray Gun, White yeah. Rabbit, the record place. Some good stores, right? Yeah. yeah. But you you don't see like. A hardware store you don't you, yeah. you know you don't right. see the kinds of things that you can get in a walmart um yeah. and you know and that's because i i guess that's because of the high cost of downtown retail real estate um at least in part um yeah. i mean I don't, I don't know what to say about it other than you know sometimes if i need something that i can't get in my city um then i'm gonna have to go online to get it would i rather travel downtown to get you know a cable for my computer yeah i would but i can't do it you know i have to drive all around town and they still might not have it anyway that's my that's That's my retail rant sorry has nothing to do with our topic that's okay that's all right Full bean files, anyone? Yep. Mine perfectly segues from our small town record store talk. So I uh, recently saw the movie Heart Hearts Beat Loud with... Uh, oh, is it good? Oh my God, it's so good. It's like an indie movie with Nick Offerman and... um, What's that girl's name? I don't remember. Anyway, uh, it was amazing. It's so good. Okay. Alrighty. I have to go see it. It has such good music too, obviously. What is it about? So Nick Offerman is a guy who has a record store and he is like a former musician and his daughter, uh, her... His wife died when their daughter was very young and she is it never really this is why this movie is so good. It never explicitly says if she is a lesbian or bisexual, but she is non like not straight and maybe non gender conforming. Hmm. And it's about like them navigating that together and like basically they start a band together because they like enjoy making music together and he like puts it up on Spotify and uh you kinda have to find out what happens, but it's like just so good because it's like very like normalizes the LGBTQ community, like in that it's never even discussed like what she identifies as. It's just is. Sounds sounds very good. It's so sounds good. very good. I'm reading reviews right now. It looks great. It's probably at film scene. You know, Nick Offerman is a uh, very accomplished woodworker and in fact owns a mm-hmm. woodworking business mm-hmm. um, in California. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. If you follow him on Instagram, you can see some yeah. of his yeah. work. Mm-hmm. Um, my Flopian Files this week is um, Set It Up on Netflix. It's like a new um, like rom-com. What's Netflix. it called? Set, Set It Up. It up. Hmm. And it's about these like two assistants, personal assistants in New York who like set up their bosses so that their bosses aren't so mean to them, basically. And yeah, it's really good. It's like very, you know, like it's like a rom-com, you Is know, it a it's, show or a movie. It's a movie. OK, maybe I'll yeah. watch that tonight. Yeah, you should. It's good. I liked it. I laughed. I cried. Nice. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. My fallopian file um, is doesn't exist yet, but it might someday. It is the Vagina Museum, which is a uh, it's 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 in the UK. It's not in this country, but it, it will someday be in the UK. Um, it is uh, currently traveling around 
to festivals and events with pop-up expositions. Mm. Is that the vagina wall? Mm, that's uh, among the things one might see there. Mm. Um, oh. But, you know, the the uh, the person whose idea this was, it was a uh, London-based biologist and science communicator by the name of Florence Schechter. And uh, apparently it started because she, you know, she has a YouTube channel. She makes videos about you know science and uh Mm -hmm. she made a video about the uh, about weird animal penises as one does on youtube Mm -hmm. and then she tried to make a follow-up video about vaginas and realized there wasn't a lot of you know uh information out there um about such things and um but there is there are plenty of there are plenty of phallus oriented uh museums out there um in various countries um and so she decided to uh to work with some um, some other folks to make this museum hopefully it will be available uh someday you can contribute to it now um by visiting their website uh which uh i will definitely go there yeah, seems, yeah. Seems cool. cool yeah well yeah. All right. Well, I guess we should close this out, maybe? Yeah. You guys want to close this out? Yeah. Talk to you. All right. Bye. Bye, friends.